CavsCorner.com, your source for sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the Palatial Franklin States in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, August the 8th. Uh, football camp, training camp, fall training camp, football practice, whatever vernacular you use. It is underway in Charlottesville, the Cavaliers um, on the field. Um, I believe they go full pads tomorrow, or maybe they went full pads today. Um, but basically, the, the 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 acclimation part of the uh, training camp is over. The football, the real football part, has begun, and uh, that gives us plenty uh, to discuss. Uh, obviously, we did not get to see much of you know practice. We got thirty minutes last Friday. We'll get the same on, on Thursday evening as well. Um, my apologies that I I definitely said in at least two different places that it was going to be next Friday, but it's really going to be Thursday. Um, so anyway, so we're going to get into a little bit of that, um, before we get started, let me go around and introduce everybody up in Fishersville. David Spence is on the show. How are you, my friend? Brad, I'm in full on college athletics withdrawal and it, it needs to get here, man. Season needs to get here. Who Dave's on the board at who Dave's on Twitter. You're just now getting into the withdrawal part. You're, you're, it's been a busy like, summer, man. <laughs> you're like four weeks away and you're, you're just now getting into the withdrawal part. That which it for me was like May, um, up in Arlington, uh, staff writer, Justin Ferber also on the show. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. Uh, just trying to figure out who all these players are for the third straight year by uh, trying to get the name on their helmet um, <laughs> from pictures <laughs> at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. And Cavs Corner, also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner, great place for in-game updates, content items, and the occasional Woody Banter. Yeah, that's a that's a challenge, right? When 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 you cover UVA or UVA is your team, is watching these videos and you're trying to like, God, who's that in the orange shorts? Who's that in the orange shorts? The three of us have gone through like What does the orange shorts mean? What do the orange shorts mean? Like the same dude in the orange shorts two days in a row? (laughs) We've gone through this Zabruder like process of trying to figure out this one dude in orange shorts who I believe we have all agreed was Hasis Hasis Dubois. Um, which coincidentally, Biscuit didn't even talk about in when when we interviewed him last week. Um, which I thought was funny. It's like, oh yeah, there's that that other dude. Um so anyway, uh, yeah, it is kind of a challenge because you you don't have numbers. They yeah, all think about exactly- the poor video guys, man. They've got to cut the film for for like how much time are those guys spending in the video room putting together clips for the coaches? That's a good question. I would I would counter with a potential um, um, frame framing point, which would be, but shouldn't they know what groups were in and what play was being run? Oh, right, so sure, like, sure, sure. So but they should have a little more information. You than know, those it's easier guys. just saying, hey, there's thirty four. yeah that would be so much easier it's funny though because normally during camp i can i get myself to a point by like because we normally get three practices by midway of the second practice i can tell from like mannerisms and um which guys are wearing sweatbands and which guys are wearing tights and which guys are you know what i'm saying like i can usually some guys are just just easier to pick out yeah 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 It's not like dudes on the message board would be like, hey, Brad, can you identify all 12 of these people who are also identified in this story? Which made me laugh. Um, but, and then like the Jordan Mack thing last week where like people are like, oh my gosh, that kid is so swole. And I'm like, that's not clearly not a, a recruit. Um, all right, let's talk about practice. You guys got to see so much of it. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I, I want to go position by position. And I want to talk a little bit about like what sort of things we're hoping come out of camp. Now, one downside to not seeing as much this year is I don't obviously get to watch as many plays. I don't get to see as much of, you know, oh, this guy was working at this position and then they moved into this spot and blah, blah, blah. But what I get more of is access. So we'll be able to track storylines um, from week one to now week two and then week two to week three at least. Uh, and then presumably from week three to Broncos um, game week press conference uh, the Monday before the Richmond game. Um, but I just feel like, Maybe let's go through the positions and talk a little bit about some of the storylines that we're interested in and where we think things are now. Um, I guess we should start at quarterback, which you know is sort of the no-brainer uh, for UVA. It's a it's a foregone conclusion at this point that um, um, Lord Willen and the Creek don't rise. Uh, it will be Bryce Perkins as QB one. Um, we haven't gotten to see a a great deal of footage of him uh, in in that position yet. Um, obviously there was some stuff in the spring and, and now a little bit here in the fall. Ferber, let's start with you. What do you want to see this camp from Bryce Perkins other than him staying upright? Like what, what are some focal points and maybe even other potential storyline? Do you care 
who the backup is going into game one. Is that a thing that you're really paying attention to? Or what are the, your storylines for the, for the quarterback position? Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, obviously everything that we've heard about Bryce as a, as a leader and somebody that's new to the program has been great. Um, obviously he's acclimated well uh, to everything that's, you know, expected of him and all of his teammates in the system and all that good stuff. Um, his strength and conditioning performance is obviously off the charts. And we know from that, that he's, if he's not the fastest guy on the team, he's one of the fastest few. Um, so that's great. Um, that should bring a new dynamic that we haven't seen. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm concerned about his ability as a passer. I just want to see more. Um, his numbers at Arizona Western don't really tell the whole story because it just the offense that they were running. And I believe he was actually sharing some time with another right. quarterback. Yeah. They were trying to get another kid some offers. Yeah. So, I mean, his numbers obviously aren't like off the charts from a passing perspective. So um, it's just kind of a small sample size. Um, I don't think we'll be able to really learn a whole lot from just watching videos, you know, quick videos from camp. Um, it's something that obviously we'll have to see when they play Richmond. Um, but I, I just want to see like what his skill set looks like. I mean, obviously we've heard that he can throw the deep ball. I know that's something that they're really working on, uh, trying to find guys in that department to, to make plays with, uh, Andre Lavroni and Donnie Dowling gone. Um, but I, I kind of want to see, you know, like what's his decision-making like, uh, you know, how quick does the ball get out? All that sort of stuff. But, uh, as far as the backup and the depth and all that, um, I'm assuming that Lindell will be the backup. And then uh, Brendan Armstrong will be available if needed. And I'm assuming that they'll probably try to redshirt him, but I'm not, you know, hundred percent sure what will happen there. But uh, obviously we know we talked about it here that Brennan's probably a better fit from a scheme standpoint with his ability to run um, and make plays outside the pocket, you know, Lindell more in the mold of a Kurt, uh, you know, in the pocket passer. Um, I would assume that Lindell gets the nod for, for the backup job just based on experience, but um, I'm not exactly holding my breath for him to be like the long-term answer at quarterback or anything like that, considering that Brennan's already here. And then you got other guys in the pipeline coming and, and the, the style of football that they want to play. But obviously, you know, he's gotten a lot of praise from coach Beck and uh, the staff. So uh, obviously he's, he's probably made some improvements of his own. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that shakes out. Hopefully we won't have to see too much of the backup because if that happens, then, you know, either Bryce got hurt or it's not working out or something bad, <laughs> um, unless it's in mop up duty, of course. Right. I would, I would, I would say that Bryce is absolutely um, indispensable. I mean, his skill set, his his athleticism, especially. I, I, I'm, I go back to this, and and people are gonna either, uh, either he's gonna put it on the field, and people are gonna go, man, Brad said that, or he's not, and people are gonna say, Brad was crazy. But like, I, I I'm telling you, do moves, runs looks like a running back when he when he pulls when he pulls the ball down. I mean like he just does not look like an athletic quarterback who runs. He looks like a running back. Dave, what are your some of your your thoughts, storylines, things you're curious about tracking um at least right now with the quarterback position? Yeah, I mean I think you guys hit hit the big ones. I mean having Bryce healthy is the big thing. It's gonna be hard to tell because we can tell from the clips and obviously I didn't get to go to practice Brad so I don't know who this we is, but um, the he's definitely the most athletic and smooth quarterback we've had. Like just from clips, like he, he may not, you know, Watford was fast, Biscuit was fast, you know, even Vic Hall, the, the one game he played was fast, but Bryce kind of has a little bit of everything and he seems to have a good, you know, a good arm and, and good mechanics. Um, but it's so hard to tell. I mean, especially when you've got a, when you've got a guy showing you his, his quicks and his ability to throw on the run in practice clips when he's wearing a red jersey, it's a little different, you know. If you're if you're running right and throwing throwing the ball, you're a little more willing to open up the ribs and and be pure in your mechanics, and getting your shoulder squared when you know you're not going to get take a shot. So we're going to have to see that when you know when the Richmond game rolls around. Um, but I like what I see so far. I'm encouraged about it, and I'm you know borderline optimistic because. When you, when you, I know a lot of people are worried about his passing ability. Look, he doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to have Kurt Binkert's arm or Matt Schaub's accuracy to be a good quarterback if he's able to bring what we've seen from him on the ground to the, you know, to real games. 
you're not going to get double coverage when you got a quarterback who can run like that. He's going to be able to throw in a lot of one-on-ones, which makes you know gives you some advantages. Um, so him being healthy, obviously, and as far as the backup goes, my guess is the staff would. Yeah, I think Lindell will be the backup the first couple games. I would think, although I do think, you know, given the fact that Bryce is just a junior and can give you two years, and with the new redshirt rule, I wouldn't be surprised to see QB two change based on how many games the other QB two has played. Um, yeah, I think in a perfect world, Bryce plays every meaningful minute, um, needed meaningful minute, and you get Preston. Um, Preston, sorry, sorry, Lindo. Wow, that's, that's messed up. He's well, already, already moved up. on to his brother. That's I messed mean, up. Is that a recruiting violation? <laughs> I think so. I think you I just backed that up. <laughs> I was talking about Preston and someone else. Um, you get Lindell, you know, four games of work, and you get you know get Brennan four games of work, so that they're they're better suited and still have a redshirt available for next year. Um, so I mean, I, I'm encouraged by what, what I've seen, but like you said, it. it <laughs> it will take actual game action for me to be comfortable. I was, I was going to roll out here with the crispiest hot take, like so crispy. I was going to be like, you know what I think they should do? I think they should only play Bryce Perkins four games so he can get his red shirt and so he can come back next year. But then I thought you guys, your heads would actually explode if I made that joke. So I decided not to do it and then just joke about it. Um, the one thing I'll say on the quarterback before we move to running back, I really think that both of them, uh, both of the backups, obviously, you know, if if Bryce is able to stay healthy, they'll, they'll both get their redshirt, but they will both see some action. I think one of the things you're going to see this staff be really strategic about is getting guys time so they can get them some um, some film so they have something to work off of. I, I, I can't think of the direct quote of like when he said it, but I remember um, Mendenhall essentially saying that until you actually can see somebody against somebody else, you really you're, you're really not sure. Um, and I think that that if you extrapolate that out, the, the, this redshirt rule is perfect for him because he can he can still figure out which he can he can better figure out which young guys actually are able to play without actually with without risking you know like he doesn't he's not gonna walk into a Chris Glazer situation. Not to say that Chris shouldn't have played last year. They were in a situation where he was uh, it was a necessity to have another offensive lineman that could go. But they in in this in this vein like you can get both stone and Armstrong a red shirt and still play them and get film with on them and also get a feel for like, what do they do well against live action? Will they not do well? Um, Lindo, I don't know if anybody's seen, but Lindell stone looks kind of swole. Like he, he's put on some yeah. size. He put um, on a bunch of weight. Yeah. I mean, he looks and he, and you can tell, I was just watching him in a few drills uh, early in practice on Friday. I mean, like you can see his arm strength has improved. Now I'm not saying he's Kirk Benkirk, but he, you know, he, he's not, he's not nearly uh, as uh, it's not, that is not nearly as, as much of a deficit for him as it may have been last year uh, at the running back position. I feel like UVA is stacked, but at the same time, like I, I it's almost like, I feel like I know what they have. And at the same time, I don't know what they're going to get from it. Um, I feel like that group should be improved. I feel like that sh- group should be deep. I feel like they should be able to use that depth, especially with a running quarterback, and you're able to do a lot of option stuff and and that kind of thing. Uh, Dave, we'll start with you this time. What are some storylines at running back that you're tracking, and and what are you really interested to see week to week? I'm interested to see. Yeah, I think as far as the power game goes, you've got multiple options. Uh, the thing I want to see in, in the running back position is, Who's going to be your change of pace guy? Is that going to be OZ on the sweep? Is that going to be Tavares Kelly, whose name keeps popping up in every interview I hear from a coach this summer? Um, or is it going to be you know Atkins or even uh, Wayne? <laughs> Let's keep it there. Uh, not feeling like pronouncing that name tonight. But the uh, Papa. Thank you. Um, it's and then, Papa for the record. Yeah. I know that one. Boom. So I mean, I think you can you, you know what Ellis is. Um, he does you know, look look like he's getting the bulk of the work with the ones. Um, will Peacock ever get a carry? <laughs> and and will PK Kyer be the you know continue to be the big surprise? Um, he's put on weight and he looks good. And talked to his grandfather the other day, so you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. What about you, Ferber? What are some of your questions, concerns, um, expectations for that group as we go week to week? Yeah, I mean. I think there's a lot of depth there. I don't really have a lot of concerns. Um, you know, obviously I want to, I want to see some more big plays from that group. Um, explosive plays, I guess. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know exactly how the, you know, the carries and the touches are going to shake out. Um, 
uh, obviously, you know, we have high expectations for, for Jordan um, as we did last year, but I think there's a lot of guys behind him that can make an impact. Um, if, if we need to, you know, get him in there and, and spell. Um, so I, I think that there's a lot that I don't have a lot of questions about, you know, their abilities. I, I just, I'm interested to see how it all shakes out with who plays. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think my thing about the running backs is I, I'm almost more curious one, not just like who, how, how the carries get divvied up, but almost like who is doing what, right? Is there, do you have a short yardage back or do you, you try to use all of them so as to create, you know, some sort of, um, um, some sort of flexibility that a defensive coordinator can't key off of. But like I said, I'm almost more curious as to like what role they're going to play in the passing game. I, we all know they're going to run the ball more. We know they're going to run it. You know, some of it's going to be handoff. Some of it's going to be read option. Some of it's going to be straight option. There's going to be a bunch of different types of pitches and um, shuttles and all kinds of fun stuff. Right. Um, but the thing I'm really curious about is, what what do they what 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 can they do off of the RPOs and off of just your standard sort of read option look and then kind of play off of that and and hit a little of these big plays where the dude just kind of open. The more I think about Perkins and his arm and trying to throw downfield, the more I think that they're really going to be in a position this season where it's not necessarily like he's going to drop back, look you know check his his reads right, check his reads left, and then go back right and you know hit a guy on a street. Like what I'm expecting is going to happen is that there's going to be some sort of action. Um, Zacchaeus or Tavars Kelly or Billy Kemp, it, Joe Reed, somebody in, in like a jet sweep and there's a fake. And then some, there's a broke, there's a break somewhere in the, in the secondary and somebody's just open. You know, like I feel like oh, that's going to be where Bryce has to throw the ball a lot. And I feel like he's going to get some of that too with the running backs where like, there's just a dude and he's standing here by himself and he's got 25 yards before anybody gets to him. Um, so, how how have they improved from a pass catching standpoint? It seems sort of weird in a year when, when Virginia's going to run the ball more to be sort of focused on the running backs as, as receivers. But I, my mind, I can't help but like that's just the sort of way it just feels like it's going to go down for me. Um, and it and it certainly will help the wide receivers. We'll talk about them and the tight ends together. Um, Bronco made a point the other night to say, you know, basically Evan Butts is always open, and I do think he's going to be a nice security blanket, as cliche as it might be, um, for Bryce uh, as he. Uh, as he settles in as, a, as QB1. Uh, Ferber wrote a, uh, had a piece today uh, with Marcus Hagens and talking about, you know, replacing Lavroni and, Dow- and Dowling. Um, when, you, when you sit back and think about it, Ferber, how do you feel like they're going to replace those guys? Do you think it's a one-to-one, you know, fill-in guy A for, for dude B and, and, and roll? Or do you feel like it's going to have to be a committee, the young kids, uh, especially those four wide receivers um, that just got on grounds? Like, how do you sort of think the Virginia is going to fill that gap in terms of production at wide receiver? I think it could eventually get to the point where it's one or two guys. Um, but I don't think those one or two guys are uh, solidified in those positions yet, at least not based on what uh, Coach Hagens was saying the other night. Um, you know, he, he spoke very highly of several guys, you know, that could possibly do that, including um, Terrell Jana, uh, who, who he spoke very highly of. Um, said that he's, you know, he expects him to make a really big jump this year after he played a little bit last year, or he played a lot, but he only had two catches, so not a ton of targets. Uh, and then, you know, he talked about playing Alameda on the outside, which isn't something we've seen a whole lot of, and he thinks that he can he can make plays behind the defense despite his uh, small frame. You know, he's not like a big wide receiver per se. Um, and there's a few other guys that I think, you know, they think can do it. Uh, whether it's a freshman, there's a couple of guys that are built to play on the outside there. Uh, potentially Joe Reed, um, Hasis Dubois obviously is an outside receiver. Uh, I think that that's been the emphasis is trying to find somebody to make those big plays down the field because that's something that, you know, that was Lavroni's skill set pretty much. I mean, if you think about, you know, what he was able to accomplish last year, you know, most of his plays were, were big plays down the field. Um, you know, at least the ones that are memorable, Um, so I think that, you know, they might not be able to get as much out of one particular player that they got out of him, uh, last year, but I think that by committee, they at least have some options to replace him and somebody can distance themselves and and make themselves a a primary target or they could end up doing it by committee. Uh, I don't think either of those options are off the table. And I think that right now it's kind of still, you know, wait and see. Uh, Hagen's mentioned that, you know, he wasn't exactly sure, you know, where he stood with the freshman, 
you know, they showed up in shape and ready to work and that's great, but he needs to see consistency over, you know, several days going into camp. So, I mean, it was too early for him to tell on Friday, but uh, you know, he maybe has some more answers on that front, you know, over the next couple of days. What about you, Dave? I know when, when, when Ferber mentioned Joe Reed, you inside, you, you got a little bit salty because you wanted to be the one to bring up Joe Reed originally, because any conversation the three of us have had about the wide receivers, like all Dave says is just Joe Reed. He says, Joe period, Reed period. So Dave is obviously expecting Joe Reed to have a bullet in a cough sort of season. Um, what are you, but what are your general expectations aside from your love affair with Joe Reed? Uh, what are your expectations for the receivers? Uh, I'm pretty encouraged by what we've seen. I mean, like anytime you've got, you know, the, I believe OZ set the single season record for catches last year. Um, you got him coming back and then, um, Evan Butts, who I think was a little bit underutilized in, in the uh, scheme last year now being, being kind of hooked up with a quarterback who's going to probably look to dump the ball to the middle a little more than Kurt did. I think those two pieces give you a great foundation. Um, you don't, I don't know that you need to replace the production that Lavrone had with the deep ball, but you need to have someone out there who scares the team enough to keep it covered. Um, whether that's, you know, Hasis or Joe Reed or Terrell Jana, if any of those guys can show the ability to catch it and take the top off, I think that's all you really need from that position. You don't need Lavroni like production for this offense to be good. Last year's offense kind of needed that. Um, now, if you can get that associated with everything else, this offense has a chance to become very, very good. Um, and then like you like Justin mentioned in the piece, if if you're able to move OZ out because of the play of Kemp and Tavares so far in, in camp, that gives you a lot more options. And then just a mismatch that you can create if you run out, you know, OZ and Tavares and then you've got butts or someone else, just the, the different formations you can do, the different power stuff you can get runs you can come off that, the screen games. I mean, it becomes very exciting. So I don't know that you're looking for one guy to replace Andre or Dally. It's by committee, and I like I like the pieces that are there a lot more than I did a few weeks ago. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that you know Tavares and Kemp seem to look pretty good coming out of coming right out of high school. And even the UVA football just posted a video not more than a minute ago of Tavares catching a nice little you know red zone touchdown out of the slot tonight. So. Yeah, I think that one thing that those kids are going to be able to do is to give UVA a lot of versatility in the slot, and it's going to it's going to lead to a lot of interesting sort of uh, um, alignment um, mismatch creating sort of looks. Like they're going to put guys in positions because specifically because they know Zacchaeus is going to draw so much attention, uh, and they're going to play off that. I mean, I really I, I really think that one of the one of the biggest benefits to having Bryce Perkins is it's it's going to make uh, Robert and I a very different play caller, and I know vast majority of you out there who heard me just say that thought to yourselves, well, that's, that would obviously be a, a welcomed um, um, event. Um, when it comes to the offense as a whole, is we talked a bunch about the pieces, but realistically the offensive line uh, continues in Charlesville to be the concern going into the season. Uh, we can talk about different positions on offense, but the offensive line ultimately is just the, it's just a question mark that, that we never really seem to have a feel for um lot I feel like this group has some talent I I feel like this group matches the new offense better than it did the old um Dave we'll start with you what are you looking for what are you watching what are you paying attention to when it comes to the the big uglies up front I don't know if there's one thing I mean um I think Applefield's a big piece just because he gives you a little more versatility with what's coming back um well I mean when you're talking about five guys if you can get one guy to come in and and nail down a spot that's helpful but Maybe it's maybe it's the preseason awesomeness disease kicking in, but I'm starting to like the offensive line a little better too. I mean, Applefield seems to have come in and kind of, you know, cemented his place. You know, at, at right maybe he ends up inside, but he looks like he's going to start a right tackle. Um, and then if you look at the other guys, they didn't have a whole lot of experience as far as starts last year, but I I think there's some good pieces there, um, and most importantly, there's good size. Yeah. I think our, I don't think anyone in the starting five right now is below 300 pounds. Now that's roster weights. Does it translate to wins? I don't know, but it's a good start. Um, I don't think the offensive line. We've talked about this off air. I don't think the offensive line was as bad at run blocking last year as the numbers suggested they were. 
I, I think the offense as a whole was very disjointed, as I've said multiple times. Um, I need to patent that phrase, by the way, um, or trademark it. The, uh, I, I do think that there were games last year where the, where the line showed promise with, with run blocking. It's just you know commitment to the run, and when you pulled it out, being less predictable wasn't always there in the games, and that makes it tough to run the ball regardless of how good you are on the line. So, But I think – but having a, having a mobile quarterback's great. It'll make up some for, mis, for, for some mistakes from the offensive line, but it, it does. You still got to have you've got to have a good offensive line to have a good have a good team. So, just for for the quantity and the size, I think there's some there's some optimism I have there. But just finding a good five or six or seven, it, it sounds like that might be a little more easy this year than it was in the past. Um, whether they're an ACC caliber five or six or seven we'll we'll see what about you Ferber? what are some things that you're uh looking for on the offensive line yeah i mean it, i think it's just going to be interesting with the scheme change uh how they you know how that all works out um and and we don't know yet i mean i think that they would like to go tempo but i don't think we're going to see that right away um you know how that would affect the line play uh, like Dave said, uh, you know, going back and looking at the season last year, the run blocking, I think was there at times and, and sometimes it just wasn't there. Um, they got to push on a lot of plays and, you know, for whatever reason that didn't end up being a huge game. Like I said, when we talked about the running backs, that, that explosiveness in the second level really needs to get there. So, um, we'll see what happens there, but obviously with the pass blocking, I think they did okay last year. Um. Kurt had kind of a bad tendency of like running himself into pressure. Um, he got better at it last year than he was the year before, but hopefully Bryce will have a, a better feel for the pocket and when to get out and make plays with his legs. And, you know, he can avoid some of those issues, but I'm not overall like super concerned about uh, the offensive line, but I'm not ready to call it a strength of the team at this point either. I think that's fair. I think Applefield's um, addition is big because he does have some versatility. If you think about it, you know, they're cross-training Glazer uh, at center as well as tackle where he has been. They're, they're cross-training Feeler as well. He, he's played multiple positions. Proctor can play center, I believe, but the fact that he's not in the, including that group tells me they really like him at guard. Uh, Applefield obviously experienced a guard and tackle. Rankinsmeyer experienced a center and tackle. So there's a lot of versatility among the, some of the known pieces that you have. The question is just how well they gel. Somebody asked 2 a question the other night. Um, you know, ideally, would you like to have the same five? And he said, of course you would. But you also understand, too, that like when guys can play multiple positions, that that's actually a, a better reality for the offense as a whole um, because they're able to deal with injury or, or deal with, you know, whatever may come. I just generally my my one question on the offensive line sort of echoes my question about the offense, which is consistency. You know, can they be consistent enough up front to not just, um, you know, not just create. Uh, running lanes and that kind of thing, but to sell the fakes. I mean, that's one thing that this offensive line is going to have to do that the one last year didn't. They're going to have to sell some fakes, and I think they're going to have to be, you know, always on the on the same page because some of these, you know, some of these plays, you, you you're going to look really foolish if if you if you don't if you're not in the right place as to where you're supposed to be. But I think that sort of underscores right what the offense has to do as a whole too. Right, they have to be consistent. Um, one thing we saw a lot of last year is it was it was it was feast or famine, right? When Kurt was on, and 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 the and the deep ball was working, they could get pretty much anything they wanted. But man, when it wasn't, it was it was rough. Um, so I mean, I think this offense has to be better and it has to be able to adapt better, um, depending on what defenses do. And I think they have a lot of pieces. And and I and I probably am a little bit more um, optimistic about this group than many, just because I think Bryce is that good. But at the same time, you know, you ultimately you have to be able to go out there take care of the football and you have to be consistent. I think that's going to be um, something I'm curious to hear from Bronco tomorrow um, about, you know, how consistent has that offensive line been? How consistent has the offense been as a whole uh, on the other side of the ball? We'll start on defensive line because I think that might be the, um, the difference between this group being special and this group, this group being, you know, good, maybe even decent depending on how, on how rough things are up front. Um, the dirty dozen thing uh, the other day in and of itself, because you had um, skill, big skill, and then bigs. So in a, in a way like the defensive linemen were sort of, you have four spots for each 
group. So in a way, the defensive line—I don't want to say they were—they were better positioned to win one of those twelve spots, but in a way, they kind of were. So I—I I, I don't want to make too big a deal out of Bernie um, and um, Eli and um, um, handback all. Or excuse me, handback Eli. Sorry, wow, handback Bernie uh, and Alonzo all being in that group. But I do think it's significant that they that they have had what looks like very solid um, off seasons uh, in terms of their strength and conditioning. Now, can they clone themselves between now and the start of the season? I mean that that might be the the thing that that everybody helps everybody sleep. But ultimately, it's gonna a lot of it's gonna reside on those two. Uh, Ferber, we'll start with you. What sort of storylines are you watching, tracking? What do you care about week to week when it comes to the defensive line? Uh. There, you know, obviously there's some moving pieces there with a guy not in camp yet and all that good stuff. Um, but I mean, we talked about this a little bit off air. I don't necessarily feel like you're gonna see a gigantic drop off from where they were last year. Um, obviously, Andrew made his fair share of plays, and they had some guys in there that would make a play every once in a while. And Eli Handback obviously was a nice solidifying force in the middle, but I don't think that necessarily, uh, you're going to see a giant drop off. Obviously Andrew was an athlete that will be tough to replace. Um, what I'm interested to see is how much depth they have there and how many guys they trust to rotate in and out, whether any of the freshmen end up playing. I think Manny Alonzo could be a nice piece. Um, he didn't play a lot last year at the beginning of the year, but you know, he came on a little bit at the end, obviously played a big role in that uh, win over Georgia tech uh, against the option, uh, which is always good to see. And then you have a couple of guys that are came in this year that, you know, could maybe play rotationally. So I'm interested to see, you know, how these minutes are split up, uh, what the two, what the impact of the two transfers, uh, Cassius Pete and Dylan Thompson are. Um, and I, I think uh, I know w- what we're getting from Eli, so I don't really worry too much about him. I just kind of want to know what's going to be around him and whether it's going to be a, a group that's out there a lot, like an Ironman group, or if it's going to be a group that rotates through a bunch of guys, uh, with a, with more depth than maybe we anticipate. What about you, Dave? What are some of your thoughts, concerns, what have you on the defensive line? Yeah, I'll start with, I think when we look back to last year, and that's kind of how we're framing what needs to change for 2018, right? Is I feel like we're all guilty of saying, hey, the defense is really good, but if the offense comes around, this team, we need the offense to come around to be really good. The defense was better. But the defense was not dominant by any means last year. And if anything, the only game the defense really didn't mat, you know, did better than the than the offense did as far as, you know, helping produce a win was probably the tech game. Every other game, like the games Virginia won last year, the offense played really well. If you go to Georgia Tech, the defense kind of let them down. Um, the offense scored to win it. Maybe North Carolina, you could argue that the, the defense kept the offense in it during the during the drought. But in many ways, the defense has to make some improvements too for this team to take the next step. So I think when you have that, like you don't have to freak out so much about losing an Andrew Brown or a Quinn or a Kaiser. Like they're great players. You're not going to replace them with one guy. But they didn't make the defense some juggernaut that we have to reestablish this year. Um, but what I think what they did do was kind of teach the guys that we're, we're going to have this year. Um, I the defensive line last year was better than year one for sure. Andrew had a good year, but I don't think the defensive line was especially good against the run, um, as you saw against teams like Pittsburgh, um, even Louisville to some extent. And then we won't we won't talk about the option games, but so I think I, I think Andrew leaving is something. He, he's a player that you can replace, maybe not with one guy, but with Eli getting better with Mandy, who I, I think is going to be really good. And then whether it's Bernie stepping up or a freshman like Redmond, allowing you to move Eli to the outside, there's some pieces there. The nice thing with, unlike the offensive line, you know, you don't run up against a whole lot of teams that are just going to try to pound the ball down your throat. Most, A lot of the teams in the Coastal are running some version of the spread. So if you can't produce a three that can, that can get you pass pressure, Bronco, as we talked about a lot last year, there's a lot of things you can do with with scheme. You know, whether it's a two man nickel look or you know two man line nickel look with a couple of bigger outside backers. There's some things you can do, um, but I, I do think 
you know, if, if Bernie is steps up and can play in and allow you to keep Eli at nose and Mandy at the other end, that's a solid starting three. But if you can get some production from Thompson or Pete or even Redman, who's, who's huge, or Isaac Buell, who's gotten bigger, whether they come in at nose and kick Eli out, I think just having a fresh body there is helpful. But, yeah, it, I don't think that position is as crucial for where this team can go as the offensive line. Um, that said, I, I do think it's got a little more question marks because there's less bodies there. That's a good. I think that's good. And what's funny to me too is if I, I, I mean, look, I, I don't think those folks out there who are worried about the defensive line are a bunch of Fruit Loops. Like I think, like that's a fair thing to be worried about. But I also think too, to your point, like there's a nice little nucleus. You have some some transfer pieces that you can work in. Uh, you'll have probably four games of Jordan Redmond that you can use you know, to get, you can get him ready and get him to a place where he can play. Um, and, and there are a lot of obviously exotic stuff that you can do with the, with the scheme. But I mean, Bernie to me looked at, when I watched him at that last workout, like he watching him run through drills and stuff, he, he looks like a defensive lineman. Now he moves, he's, he's got, he's, he's got good size. He, he moves well. Um, you know, his, his grasp of the scheme will, will be the, the, the test, but I, I mean, when you look at the, this defense overall, I mean, I feel like so much, there's so many known commodities in the back eight, right? That like, we don't even need to really talk about them in their respective groups, right? At linebacker, you know what you're going to get. And at, at, at DB, you know exactly what you're going to get. You might have some questions about depth. You might have some questions about rotations. But realistically, that back eight is experienced. That back eight is settled. Um, it's just a, it's a very sort of comfortable, I have, I'm very comfortable with that, with that group. And so I think that one of the reasons why everybody focuses on, on, on the defensive line on that side is because you just know so much, you know, you might not know like, Oh, Malcolm Cook's going to play this many games. Or Tim Harris is going to, because they've been hurt so much and they've been out so much that like, that's obviously a concern. And that's probably something you guys would point to, but overall, like you just know so much about that back eight, even not just this, those eight, but like the, the ancillary pieces, you know, you know, you know, Chris Moore is a guy that they can play multiple positions. You know, Joy Blunt has put in, put on weight in the off season and, and seems poised to, to, to earn some, some spots or some, some reps, you know, that, um, you know, they got some young cornerbacks that they're clearly going to want to try to get some burn because they've got um, one senior and one junior. Um, and so they need to build some of that depth. But ultimately, like, I feel I feel really comfortable about that back eight. So I'm going to we're going to group those together. Dave, what are your general thoughts about that back eight? And what what are some of your sort of concerns specifically about uh, about those two position groups? Uh, me, <laughs> you're replacing 200 plus tackles. I mean, that that's always going to be a concern. Um, the back eight, I mean, it's, it, there's some good pieces there and a lot of returning pieces and, you know, specifically starting with the linebackers, um, you know, I kind of meant to talk about in the defensive line, but when you've got a player like peace coming back, who's shown he can be a force at outside linebacker, he's not going to help just the back eight. I mean, he frees up, you know, he's going to help keep either Bernie or Mandy or even Eli in one-on-one on occasion. Um, so he, he helps the defensive line. Um, I like Jordan Mack a lot. I think Mack's going to be have a, a breakout year. And when I was going back and watching all the watching all the games from last year, I mean, I think I texted you guys three or four times about how ridiculously good Jordan Mack was. He just in the role he was playing last year. Um, I mean, one play he'd be running down the field with the tight end. The next play he'd be coming up to cover a you know, a wide receiver in the slot who was sitting down on a curl. And the next play, he was blitzing. I mean, he was everywhere. So I'm interested to see how he does, whether he becomes more vocal leader um, at the middle linebacker spot, inside linebacker spot, and, you know, kind of who plays with him. But overall, I think if that group stays healthy and you've got Brenton Nelson, Juan Thornhill, maybe Joey Blunt back at safety, and you can get Tim Harris to finally get that senior year he's been trying to get for a few um, – with Bryce on the other side, you've got size and, and ability. And the one thing that defense did do very well last year was they were really good against the pass. And a lot of that was the back eight. So um, I think if you can, if Bronco can count on those guys to give them a lot of one-on-one coverage, allow them to free up, they can help the defensive line. So I'm pretty encouraged. And you start talking about the young guys, like, you know, Garrett's names come up a couple of times. Zane made the dirty dozen. Um, 
there's a lot of young guys showing promise. And, you know, we haven't even talked about guys like Jojo White and, um, you know, the guy whose name I'm, that's why we haven't talked about. Jalen Baker. Name. Yes, Jalen Baker. Um, you know, some other big defensive backs that I'm sure will get playing time this year. So I'm encouraged by the drop back eight and uh, looking forward to seeing how they can help the defense, defensive line. All right, Ferber, uh, uh, round us out here. Uh, thoughts on the back eight? Do you do you feel comfortable? Do you feel as comfortable as I do with that group overall? And what sort of storylines are you tracking as we move forward? Yeah, I feel pretty comfortable. Um, not only because that's where some of the most talented players on the roster are, but also because they have more depth there than they have at other places. Uh, and quite frankly, I mean, I wish that the de- defensive line, you know, if they don't have that top end talent, I wish they had the depth that they have, you know, in the secondary or the linebacker position. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see what a guy like Charles Snowden can do this year. You know, he played a limited amount of snaps last year, but he had one huge play um, against Duke and another big play against Miami on the block punt. Uh, I think that he's got the athleticism to, to be something um, at outside linebacker. The other guys, like like you, uh, Dave mentioned Zane, uh, Zandier, he's kind of behind other guys on the depth chart just by default. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, like, you know, what kind of a role those guys can carve out for themselves if they can get on the field. Um, but if they can't, then that usually means that the person ahead of them, the veteran player is doing a good job and is healthy. So that's not necessarily a terrible thing either. Uh, in the secondary, like I said, you know, there's a lot of depth. Um, Bryce Hall is, you know, coming back off of a good season last year. Uh, him and I think it was Quinn and Nelson, or no, it was Thornhill, Nelson, and Blanding all had four picks last year. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if they can continue that trend of being able to force turnovers, which is something that, you know, they struggled with at times in the past. Um, I forget what year it was, but they they went however many games it was without turning a, a turnover into points or something crazy like that. So uh, it's good to see that those kind of things are starting to turn around. Um, and then obviously they also impact the game, the corners and the outside linebackers on exotic blitzes and, Obviously, the safeties do as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that continues. But that's the group that I'm not really that worried about. Uh, I mean, I'm excited for their potential, and they're going to need to be good for UVA to reach uh, the place where we think they could get this year, you know, their potential as a team. If those groups aren't great, then then they probably won't be able to get there. But I have more faith in those two groups than any other on the team probably. Yeah, I would say also too, like Snowden is probably the one guy that I am most excited. Like, is the – like you just don't you just don't get dudes that bit that long and that like he can cover so much ground. Like I, you guys were talking about like the um that video I posted of them going through the cone drill and how Zacchaeus and Perkins were the only two and do it in two slides. Now Snowden may have taken three, but man, he covered a lot of ground really fast. And like when he really starts to tap into that thing, and 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 I, I it's funny because like I know he's in 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 the mix to be a starter. I'm not trying to say like hey, trying to get his red shirt back. But like if if you could think about what he would be, you know, down the road, he's he's a, he's a perfect example of like what just patience will do for you because that kid's going to be pretty good. Dave, I think you were trying to chime in there. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, one of the one of the multiple two stars who are starting on that defense. Who, you know, you got Snowden at two star, Bryce Hall was a two star, Mandy Alonzo is a two star. Pretty good Fonz. I mean, yeah. Chris Moore. That's how you can turn something around quick. Yeah, Chris Moore, I think, was a two star. Yeah, I'm trying to. I can't. I think Eli might have been a three. I'm Chris Peace. Cool. Well, Eli was a was a was an offensive lineman in our system at least. Yeah, Chris Peace. Yeah, Chris Peace was. Yeah, Eli was a two star offensive lineman. You're right. Yeah. Um, Ferber, well, you have a you have a fifth side of the ball tonight, which I don't want to spend a terrible amount of time with because I know I'm going to go crazy with it. But give give the people the fifth side of the ball for the evening. Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting. If you have Twitter, you might have seen it. Um, and, I, you know, obviously we don't we talked about this before we came on. This isn't going to be like a bashing of anybody or anything as far as I'm concerned. Um, but the Roanoke Times uh, Virginia Tech reporter, uh, Andy Bitter, who some of you may know from his work at the Roanoke Times, uh, went to The Athletic, which is basically the the new uh, one and done factory or Alabama of college journalists, college football and basketball journalists. They're, they're scooping up pretty much everybody. Um and basically, it seems like the newspaper is suing him over the rights to the Twitter account that he like, that was in his name or that he was using while he was with the paper. Uh, so uh, discuss. 
<laughs> Let's not try to act like this is my topic either, by the way. No, no, no. It was definitely something I was like, hey, this would be a good because it is kind of yeah. off the beaten path and it's not obviously directly related. To yeah, it's either. definitely nothing that I was expecting to see. But yeah, it's funny for the so to give it some more background too. like he this is not a this is not a situation where like he started a Twitter uh, page and then the the times want the running times want to take it over like this was the one that that he got from Kyle Tucker when Kyle Tucker left that job. Um, and so he, Kyle Tucker had it, handed it to, to Andy and then Andy had it. Um, I believe at the, I, I want to say not too terribly long ago, maybe a couple of years, he had like 7,000 followers and then there's 27. Um, so it's, it, it's super interesting to me because it, social media has become part and parcel to like how you do your job, you know, like, um, it's not just a thing for, you know, for those of us in this business, like it's not just a thing like, Oh, you know, I want to go, you know, search out some funny uh, memes, you know um, it's a, it's a vital piece of how you do your, your work and how you get the word out there. So it doesn't, it actually doesn't surprise me that Roanoke times wanted his Twitter back because you know, he's built up a following during his time there. Um, I, I guess I would ask you guys like, is this, is, is, is this something that would have really blipped your radar if you didn't, you know, in Ferber's case, write for a site. Uh, in in Dave's case, no two dudes who write for a site. Like we're on a podcast. Like, what is, is this something that like? Obviously, this is not going to be something that, like Joe Blow, Virginia Tech fan, is going to be like all up in arms about. Um, but like, is this something that 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 you guys would even, you know, look into? What do you mean? <laughs> well, Sorry. well, like in the sense of like, if you saw this, would you be like, huh? And would like, is it something that you think about? Is it like, because to me, it's fascinating, and I know that that's probably oh yeah, yeah, for sure, definitely, it's definitely interesting because I never thought I would see anything like this before. Um, and then obviously, every situation is different. Um, you know, like sometimes there is no, like, for example, um, the I want to I don't want to pick on any newspapers, but doesn't the Daily Progress they used to at least have like a UVA account that they would tweet from? Yeah, the Cavalier Insider account. Right, right. yeah, but now like they have beat writers, or, and they have with their own accounts as well. So I'm assuming that there, I mean, the Cavalier Insider account would obviously stay, and then the person like Andrew Ramsbacker, who used to be in that role, left to go to uh, a newspaper in Columbia, South Carolina. I don't want to get the name of the paper wrong. Um, he took his account with him because they have that other account, but in the Roanoke times case, like they don't have another account, I guess. And I think that their case is, um, their case is basically that his amount of followers would be hard for them to just like replicate with a new account. Um, because it's so many people, it is a lot. He has a lot of followers and I think he did a good job there. Um, and obviously he, he was well-respected because he went to the athletic, um, it's kind of a pain for both parties because if he did sign a contract, then obviously they have, you know, the right to sue him or whatever. But, um, and at the same time, I'm sure he doesn't want to give up his account. So it's, it's, it's just both sides kind of, you know, balking at each other. It seems like. Yeah. I will say this. I think that, um, what's the difference between a social media account and an email? Right. Because if, if I leave paper X, right, I don't get to just keep getting email at paper X. Right. They give my, they give they somebody else takes that email over or that email gets forwarded to somebody and, 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 and everybody keeps moving. Right. Twitter is different because it, it's, it's more personal. It's more direct. But if in, and there was some, in the original stories that came out, there was some sort of uh, discussion of like um, a handbook or some sort of paperwork that he had signed. But the bottom line to me is that like, this is not a situation where Andy came in with a Twitter account, uh, built it up while he was there and then took it with him. Um, I'm not going to say that one of the reasons, right, that the athletic was interested in him was because he had a good Twitter following, but I do think that that's a, that plays a role because it, 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 it certainly, uh, impacts traffic. Uh, I know in my business, when we have, when we have sites that switch networks, one of the things where you're most kind of, you know, frustrated about is not just that you lost personnel or that you lost expertise is that you lost that, that potential customer as well. Um, so I, I do think it's super interesting to me and, and it's, and it's obviously a topic that would, would get a lot of burn anyway, but for me, I'm, I'm curious about what the email address was that he set it up with, because to me, that is the crux. Like if you set it up with your work email, it's related to your work email. Like if you work at Apple 
and you have an Apple email address and you signed up for some, some, some coding stuff that, and then you crack the code on how to like, I don't know, make a, a, a keyboard that you didn't have to actually have a physical keyboard for that. You could just type on a desk and it, and it read the letters that you typed that belongs to Apple. Like, I don't mean to be mean, but that's just kind of the way it goes. Um, but it is sort of fascinating and, 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 and it's hard to know too, like how many of those Twitter followers came simply because he went to the athletic because they were pushing those new guys really hard too. So um, ultimately it'll be something that it's interesting too, because he's, you know, he's a guy, you know, that was, that covers Virginia tech still, but it was obviously at a paper around here. So my guess is it'll be a topic of conversation in press boxes a lot more more often than it will be a topic of conversation among, uh, among folks who, uh, who follow the the sport. But yeah, I was informed just now that, that that we lost Dave because Dave <laughs> has a lightning strike in and around his height. He must be okay because he's texting. Yeah. So Dave is also check- losing his Twitter account. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we can't check in with Dave. Hopefully uh, I'm not having to do a, a ton of work on this because all of Dave's file was corrupted. So I think I'm hoping we're going to be okay. If you are somebody out there who has found uh, the podcast, but has not checked out the website, give us a look features um you know in-depth articles um football recruiting basketball recruiting all that fun stuff coming up uh at Cavs corner so give us a look and if you are somebody who has found the website and then started to find uh enjoy the podcast feel free to give us a review um whether it's itunes whether it's google play whatever wherever you get your podcast feel free to give us a review it helps folks find out about us um so for um justin ferber and one lightning strike um surviving david spence i hope i am brad franklin publisher of calvescorner.com thanks for coming out we'll see you soon